just as much as I love my wife, I hate the idea of anything taking my wife away from me. And, uh, and this is what we have to understand in the church. It's those two things have to go together or we diminish both revelations of both his mercy and his fearfulness. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Thanks so much for listening. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. Now, if you're new to the show, we're not always going to agree, and that's okay, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing our views in ways that build bridges but not barriers. Our guest today is Maddie Montgomery. Maddie is the founder and president of Awakening Evangelism, a ministry that provides instruction, support, and resources to believers from around the world who desire to grow in their ability to share the gospel and advance the kingdom more fearlessly in their everyday lives. Before that, he was the vocalist of the hardcore band For Today for 10 years. He is also the author of the book Scary God, and he lives in Alabama with his wife and three sons. Maddie, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited we got to connect, man. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, Maddie, before we dive into our conversation today, how'd you get introduced to church and to faith and spiritual stuff? I So I grew up in a Christian home, um, not, not the kind of Christian home where God's presence and word were constant uh, and constantly available. I grew up in a, a house that was culturally Christian and practically atheist. Uh, you know, we lived like there wasn't really a God, but we go to church because that's just what you do. Um, and so uh, so I went to a lot of church services and heard a lot of Bible stories and had a lot of fun, um, but, but saw no real evidence of a true or living God. Um, and so it wasn't until the week of my 19th birthday that uh, God's real uh, presence, the real revelation of his existence and his nearness uh, became so unavoidable to me that I had to either set myself with him or set myself against him. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, after that, I, I, I always say that that was the moment that kind of marked me. And after that, sin just didn't fit anymore. It was like a, a shirt that had shrunk in the wash, you know, and, and um, the life that I used to live, uh, it, it um it just uh, didn't satisfy me the way that uh, that it, it it did prior. And so I tried my hardest to continue in sin after after I'd been really touched by the Lord that week uh, of my 19th birthday. But um, but after that, it was really a, a process of learning. I, I would say that that's probably the moment I was saved was the week of my 19th birthday. But it really was a process of learning what does it look like to to actually live as a child of God. What's it look like to live as a Christian or a, a man of God? And so. Um, that was a, a long process. It's a process that I'm still only, um, only just in, in the beginning stages of, I think. Uh, and so, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's a, a sort of ongoing process of learning what it means to honor God with my life. And um, I've been doing it now for about 13, 14 years. Uh, and it's been amazing. I'm so grateful. Um, but I'm still very aware that I have a long a long way to go. Well, that's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. 
So on the show today, we're talking about this idea of the fear of the Lord. Now, Maddie, when people hear that, a lot of different things come into people's minds. So for the sake of our discussion, when we say the fear of the Lord, how would you define that? Well, um, I'll tell you, there are two, there are two wrong definitions that are out there. And I want to take aim at both of those first, because when you say the fear of the Lord, um, you have one camp of people in the church, in the modern church, that will tell you that does not actually mean fear the way that we use the word. Now, they'll say that word just means respect, reverence, awe, and we should have respect for God because he's God, but we should not fear him because God is for us. And um, and I think that that is uh, – I think that's well-intentioned, but I think that it's an error that we have stepped into out of fear. Uh, that the world will become afraid of God. We, I don't know any people that have actually lived their lives terrified of God, that God is out there chasing them down, trying to smite them. You know, most of the atheists that I know or people who are deceived, they, don't, they believe that God is indifferent toward them, if anything. Um, and, uh, and, and yet so much of the, our teaching on the fear of the Lord in the church is aimed at avoiding people being scared of God. Well, I don't know any people that are actually really scared of God. I know Christians who uh, know God and love God, and I know atheists that think that if there is a God, he's totally removed from their life and is, is indifferent toward them altogether. Um, and so I, I see one of those two uh, errors being sort of the, the two prevailing thought patterns, but when I think of the fear of the Lord, I think of um, really two primary uh, revelations, um, and those are first that God is scary, and I use that word on purpose. I mean, He's really terrifying. And two, um, that if I am in God's will, I have no reason to fear Him, um, because He is fighting on my behalf it, with all of His fierceness. All of his intensity, all of his aggression is turned against all that is against me if I'm on his side. And, um, and so I, uh, when I think of the fear of the Lord, I think that it is the revelation of just who exactly our God really is in all of his intensity, aggression, fierceness, and fire. Now, where do you think we began with this idea of challenging or changing that definition, like you had said, where the postmodern approach redefines the word fear? Where do you think that began? Um, I think it, uh, if, if you want to talk about, we'll talk about origins. So in the, uh, in the 60s and 70s, we had a couple movements. There was the charismatic movement. There was the, um, the Jesus people movement, some major significant advancements in evangelistic ministry. Many, many millions and millions of people from all around the world came to faith because of these movements. In fact, there are today, there are entire denominations that came out of these movements, things like Calvary Chapel that exist today, and many people are um, significantly impacted because of ministries that were birthed during that time when there was just this historic grace for evangelism. And what has happened is that God never called us to make believers of all nations. He called us to make disciples of all nations. But we got, during that time, evangelism was working so well, it was so easy to get people to say yes to Jesus, that um, we had a lot of effort going toward winning souls 
and very little effort going toward making disciples. And that's why at the same time, while we were trying to win the loss at any cost because Jesus was going to come back any minute now, and, uh, and we need to get as many people saved as we possibly can, uh, the secular world was putting all of their great heroes in, uh, in secular science and, uh, and philosophy into positions where they could become college professors, deans of, uh, of universities. And now the secular college university is, the, um, is one of the most hostile environments on the planet toward the gospel or toward the reality of, of the Lordship of Jesus. Um, and, and so because we failed to capitalize on that evangelistic grace in the 60s and 70s by establishing strategic outposts for discipleship, what happened is that we got sort of stuck in this rut where we have to continue to sell Jesus, we have to continue to win souls, we have to continue to, um, to equip and train people in salesmanship, not in sonship. And as a result, we have said, well, you know, one thing that is probably not good when it comes to selling our product is the idea that God might be scary. Um, and so we have said, well, why don't we just let's twist this idea of the fear of the Lord and tell everybody it doesn't really mean fear. It means reverence. It means respect. It means awe. It means admiration. You know, what it really means to fear God biblically is to be afraid of him. It's the Hebrew word yare. Uh, when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's the Hebrew word Yare, which is the same word that Adam used when he said to Yahweh after, after the fall of man, he said, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I went and hid myself. Now, Adam had already received a promise that in the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so uh, Adam thinks he's going to die. He hears God walking in the cool of the day, and he thinks that God is coming to kill him. It's actually the same word that Jacob used when he found out that Esau and Esau's army were coming to find him. He said, my brother is coming to look for me, and I am afraid. It's the word yare. This is the word that people use when they think they're about to die. And we have diminished that word and said, well, it must just mean respect. It does not mean respect. It means terror, horror, or fear. Um, and, uh, and, and we just can't, tragically, we can't reconcile. Uh, we have not been able to reconcile um, how a God who is scary could also be good. Uh, and that is, that's why I wrote this book, um, Scary God, Introducing the Fear of the Lord of the Postmodern Church. It's, it's an entire book sort of exploring that idea of how can God be both scary and good simultaneously. Now, when people hear that phrase, the fear of the Lord, it's usually associated with Proverbs 9:10, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In times like we live in, especially looking around in our culture and our church climate, do you think that we're unwise due to our lack of fear of the Lord, like we just mentioned? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, well, and, and I think it manifests in a couple different ways. I think, obviously, a lack of the fear of the Lord can manifest in our lives in rebellion or selfishness, where we think we can just live however we want, and there will be no consequences for our actions, that our actions don't have, we, we, we believe in practice, maybe not in profession. We believe in practice that our uh, our actions have no consequences in eternity, and that's just not true. Um, 
And, uh, and so that's one way that it can manifest itself. But another way, uh, and this is really something that I explore a lot in, in the book, is, is that if we don't understand that God is scary, then when an enemy comes against us, we will think that, it's our, that we're on our own to face this enemy. But the truth is, if we could understand the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord should bring peace to our lives. The revelation that God is scary should not be for us something that drives us away from God. It should be something that drives us toward him because we understand that he is able to protect us from any enemy that could ever come against us. And I see so many people in the church that are uh, living their lives as if it all depended on us. Like we're just on our own and we've got to figure out a way to resist the devil. We've got to figure out a way to overcome temptation. We've got to figure out a way to change the world. Um, and God is too weak or too indifferent or too insufficient to be able to help us accomplish this. So we've just got to do it for him. And that could not be further from the truth. And I think that that, that constant striving that we see so much of in the modern church actually comes from a lack of the fear of the Lord that we don't really believe that God is capable or mighty or fierce or fiery enough to do what he said he'd do. We, we treat God like he needs our help. There's a lot of pastors and speakers out there today that are pushing, God loves you just as you are. There's no need to change. He's here to make your life better. He wants to be your friend. Themes like that. And, and those themes seem contradictory to this idea of fear. Is there a balance between the two? Yeah, see, I, and I wouldn't say that any of those concepts are contradictory to fear. In fact, I would say that uh, that the revelation of God's love has to be married to the revelation of God's fierceness uh, for us to ever understand the significance of his love. If I don't understand how much God loves me, I will never understand how much God hates my sin. If I don't understand how much God hates sin, I'll never understand the cross. But God would put his only begotten son on a cross. Like this is, this is how much God hates sin is that he would rather put his son on the cross for it than to allow it to go unpunished. That God is so severely set against our sin and our compromise and our complacency that there is literally no length that he would go, uh, that he would not go to, to deal with it. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that, uh, that it pleased the father to crush him. And that to me is astonishing because I am a dad of three little boys and I cannot by any stretch of the imagination think of anything that if my boys got involved in it, it would make me happy to kill them for it. Right? I mean, if my kids began dealing drugs, I'd be upset about it, but it would never make me happy to kill my children over this. And yet Yahweh is so profoundly opposed to wickedness that when my wickedness was placed on Jesus, it pleased the Father to crush him. That to me is astonishing. And now one of the mistakes that we make is that we think that scariness and cruelty are the same thing. Now, God is scary, but he's not cruel. He's not maniacal. We, tragically, many um, denominations, and many theological streams in the church have taught that God, you know, beats up his children just to teach them lessons, that God is this cruel sort of tyrant who, um, 
who just he's going to do whatever he wants to you and you just have to deal with it past this test called life until you can die and and your disembodied soul can go to uh some utopian place that we've we've called heaven but uh I think that the the true reality of the fear of the Lord is not that God is cruel or abusive or violent or hateful, but that God in his love for us is just as fiercely opposed to anything that could threaten us as he is um, uh, as he is committed to anything that could bless us. We believe in the modern church that God's love for us is huge. But if that's going to be true, if we're going to believe that, then we have to also believe that God's anger toward anything that opposes us has to be just as huge. Just as much as I love my wife, I hate the idea of anything taking my wife away from me. Those two are equal in proportion because my love for her is big. I hate anything that that would ever threaten her. And, uh, And this is what we have to understand in the church is that God's goodness, his mercy, his love, his desire for intimacy with us is not... Uh, it's not opposed to the reality that God is also scary and fierce and fiery and wild and untamed. It's those two things have to go together or we diminish both revelations of both his mercy and his fear, fearfulness. So now, like you've mentioned, you've written a book about this called Scary God. Can you unpack a little bit of some of the why behind the book? I mean, as you've been sharing, it's been great. But what led to the writing of the book? Yeah, so, um, well, I began to to study this topic of the fear of the Lord. And, and the Lord, he actually gave me a dream. And I talk about it quite a bit in the book. And uh, and I had this dream um, that my family and I, my wife, my sons and I, we were in a uh we were in a field and it was a farm just hundreds maybe thousands of acres and we knew in the dream that this field was ours but we didn't have a sense of pride or ownership we were looking at this field and it was just absolutely desolate there were weeds and thorns growing and they were choking the life out of the land the ground was dry and brittle it looked like it hadn't rained there in decades dusty lifeless dark um, land. And, and, and all I was looking or all I was feeling in the dream as we were looking at this was, what are we ever going to do? There's no way I don't have the ability to make this land fruitful. And I'm looking at this field and then suddenly the ground begins to shake under my feet. And I feel uh, out of the east, I feel, um, or I, I see this sort of wall of black clouds from the ground all the way up into the sky. And out of this cloud, Uh, sorry, out of this wall of clouds, I see this spinning pillar of fire, like a tornado or a hurricane made entirely out of fire. And it's coming straight for us. And I feel in the dream about the same way that I would feel, I think, if I saw that in real life, terrified, absolutely, utterly horrified. And I grab my wife and my kids and we start running away from this hurricane or this tornado of fire as fast as we possibly can. And we're running, and then I I find a shelter. There's a a storm shelter inside this field. And I knew in the dream that the shelter was called Christ. And I open the white doors to this this storm shelter, and I throw my wife and my kids down in there. And then I jump in, and I reach behind me, and I close the doors over us. And as soon as I close the doors over us, the mood of the 
the dream shifts. And I turn back to my wife and I have a huge smile on my face and we start hugging and crying and celebrating because we knew once we were safely hidden in a shelter called Christ, we knew that the fire uh, in this tornado was going to burn away all the thorns and thistles that had choked the life out of our land. The force of this tornado was going to churn the soil and breathe new potential into this land that we own. This uh, this fire tornado uh, was going to create in our land the potential for fruitfulness that we never could have created ourselves. It was going to do, it was going to regenerate and revitalize our land in a way that we could never have even begun uh, to work toward. And so um, after that dream, I really felt like God gave me uh, some prophetic insight about his nature. That, that tornado was God. The, the person, the presence of God, and uh, and the person, the presence of God is a terrifying thing if I'm not inside a shelter called Christ. If I'm not in Christ, God is a, a, absolutely a scary thing. Um, however, the scariness of God can actually be the best thing for me when I'm in Christ, because that same intensity that was a fearful thing can actually become great news when that intensity is turned against the thorns and thistles in my heart, my life, my internal world, um, because he's able to accomplish by his immense strength and intensity, he is able to, to accomplish what I never could have. And so uh, that dream, I think, really began to, uh, to give me a picture and some words for what it was I was feeling in my spirit about what I really believe is an important and critical message in our generation. It's powerful, man. Thank you. And as we wrap up our time, what's something that you would say to the church, the the big C church that would help us all move in a more positive direction? It could be on some of the stuff we were just discussing or maybe something else that's on your mind. Uh, I think what I would say to the church, big C, um, is this. We were not made simply to serve God. We were not made simply to speculate about God. We were made to know God and to be known by him. And so much of what we accomplish and achieve in ministry is birthed from a place of wanting to accomplish enough that God would accept us or approve of us. We want to make him proud, right? Um, But the truth is, if God had not already made his mind up about you, there would be no ability in you, no strength in you, no grace on your life to be able to do anything admirable at all. So often we spend ourselves trying to win God's approval, but it's actually because of God's approval that we are able to spend ourselves for his sake. And uh, I've been meditating recently on, we, uh, we are, I think many of us in the church are familiar with the verse that says, um, We love him because he first loved us. But uh, Jesus says, I want to connect it to this passage in Revelation where Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, I want to say it's in Revelation uh, 2, where he says, um, one thing, you're doing everything right, but one thing I have against you, and that is that you have forgotten your first love. And now in in this other verse that says, uh, we love him because he first loved us, there are two loves. There's a first love and there's a second love. The first love is not the way we love God in the beginning. Now, Joey, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I loved God in the beginning, it was pure. I did love God. 
but it was pretty ignorant, pretty deceived, pretty mingled with some other things that maybe weren't so good. I love God way better today than I did at first. And I don't want to return back to my first love. I want to continue to grow from glory to glory and from faith to faith. And I believe that all people should seek that, uh, that, that state of perpetual growth and perpetual increase. And so it always kind of seemed weird to me that in Ephesians, uh, sorry, that in, in Revelation, Jesus would call the church at Ephesus back to their first love. But I realized that I don't think Jesus is calling the church at Ephesus to love him the way they did at the beginning. I believe Jesus is calling the church at Ephesus to remember that before they ever gave, uh, gave charitable donations to, uh, to, to, to the poor or to the needy in their community, before they ever preached sermons, before they ever advanced the kingdom, evangelized their region, before they ever accomplished anything, he loved them. And so many of us in the modern church forget our first love. And that is that when we still hated God, when we were still full of selfishness, pride, arrogance, and, and laziness, God loved us even then. And everything that we accomplish has come from that simple truth that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still enemies of God, he loved us enough to send his son to die in our place so that we could live. And, and so the, the beauty of this this revelation is that the first love is not the way that I loved God when I first got saved. I believe our first love is the revelation that God loved us even before we got saved, even before we came into his family. And, uh, and if we forget our first love, we may begin to, to think that God loves us because we love him. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually that we love God because he first loved us. So I think my message to the church would be uh, return to your first love. Remember that there was a time when you had not done anything. You had never reached anybody. You had never given financially to anything. You had never accomplished anything that could impress God or bless the Lord. You had not done anything impressive. And, and even then, he saw you in your brokenness and your selfishness, and he loved you. And as much as you accomplish, you'll never be able to, to make him love you any more than he did that day. Um, and so I would call the church back to her first love, and that, was, that is the love of Jesus that was given to us far before we, we could have ever deserved it. That's a great thought, man. Thank you. And, and thanks so much for being on the show. Where can people connect with you online and how can they connect with the book? Yeah, so they can um, find out information about me and the book uh, online at my ministry's website. We lead a ministry called The Altar, uh, The Altar Fellowship. And so they can go to thealtar, A-L-T-A-R.org um, to find out about me and the book and the ministry and everything else that we're, we're doing. Well, that's awesome. And we'll make sure we throw it all in the show notes. But again, man, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, yeah, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not conflicts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com. Thank you.